0: Welcome to a special crossover edition of Capital Close-Up and Beyond Politics, a broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts, in both of those podcast feeds. I'm Matt Robeson, and the reason we're doing this as a show that appears in both podcast feeds is that it's time for one of my favorite episodes on the calendar every couple of months, I get together with Neil Levesque, who's the executive director of the Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College and who oversees the St. Anselm College Survey Center poll. And as I've told our regular listeners before, this is one of the very best polls in the country. And it's interesting to me, and I think interesting hopefully to all of our listeners because it is a snapshot of New Hampshire voters But as we've described before, New Hampshire voters are a really good proxy for what's going on in vast swaths of the country, especially in swing states. It tracks really well with what's going on in those critical states that are going to be contested in the midterms and in the next presidential election. So we think that this discussion is of interest, not just to our New Hampshire listeners, but to our listeners around the country and our international listeners. So Neil, great to see you again. Great to see you too. You know, people can't see that you're um, on Zoom here. We, we record on Zoom nowadays because of the pandemic. And uh, you're, you're kind of dressed up and I'm not. And it reminds me, Neil and I go way back, reminds me of a conversation after the guy I was working for, who you also hear on WKXL, lost in a U.S. Senate race. Neil very kindly got together with me for for a drink and some consolation. And, you know, he was kind of saying, you know, look, Life life after working on Capitol Hill isn't so bad you know it's 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 actually pretty good. He said the only thing you don't want is to get up in the morning and basically find that you're you're getting dressed for work and you're just in the same sweatpants that you wore overnight and now the pandemic's hit and we've all gotten used to that mode of work and so I have to say it's kind of nice to see you all dressed up.
1: Well, you know you can only see me from the waist up so presume <laughs> for the rest. But I will oh. tell you, you know, it's funny because in this post, I'm not going to call it a post-COVID world. So, but we are definitely in a post-face mask world, and I feel it with politics because in the last, let's say, 12 days, I've been to more political grip and grin events than I have in the last year, I think. And um, what I'm noticing is people are getting back into their suits, and they don't they don't fit the same. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, and the other
0: thing that's weird about that is that people are actually gripping, which I remember the last handshake I had pre-pandemic, and I thought it might be the last handshake of my life. And people are grinning because the face masks are off. And that actually is a great lead-in to the very top of your most recent poll, which you just conducted. It's it's hot off the presses. Because what you're finding in, in the poll is interesting. The masks are coming off. People are kind of re-emerging. We're, we're entering... I agree. I don't want to call it post covid, but we're entering something. We're entering a new phase of of you know like pandemic life and people are noticing people's moods seem to be lighter. So so what did you find at the very top
1: of the poll? So at the top of the poll we always ask uh, is the country on the right track or the wrong track? And that kind of gets you into the mood of the voter and 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 at this point the number is 68% to 21 believe that the country is on the wrong track. Now, 68% in a modern poll is a huge number. So if you take this in the abstract, if you just did one poll a year and you said, is the country on the wrong track? And you came up with 68%, you'd say, holy smokes, the the country and the people are very upset about the the track of the country. However, as you note, we did this in January and the country believe that 74 percent believed at that point that the country was on the wrong track. So we're seeing a little bit of a thaw as far as the sort of pessimism of the country. That, say, six-point thaw has transmitted into, for the New Hampshire congressional delegation, Democrats, and Joe Biden, we've seen about a two to four percent rise in their favorable numbers. And we believe that this could be attributable to that overall feeling that when you go into the grocery store, you can see your friends and and that they're not, uh, you know, wearing a mask, and you can sort of see your grandparents, and and it, it's 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 a better feeling out there. Now let me just say this: there's other there's one other big event that's taken place since that period of time, that could also contribute, and that could be. The situation in ukraine so that is a major issue and a major story that definitely has entered the psyche of voters and whether or not there is a feeling of unitedness i don't know if that's an accurate word or let's make that a word let's make that a word so the country feels very united and i think that that's very accurate towards a common purpose which is the the plight of these ukrainians the second possible feeling out there could be that they, a patriotism feeling. The Russians are taking it on the chin. They're bogged down. They're taking a beating, and you know the the side of freedom in America is is winning out. So that could also be where we see this six point swing. It's not big, but it it it's slight, and, and right. And it is affecting the other numbers.
0: Well, so you're, what you're saying is that Ivan Drago has got a cut on the chin, and now our trainer's yelling at us. See, he bleeds. He's not a machine. He's a man. So I, I'm glad you went there because I have to say that I, I'm probably overthinking everything. I mean, that's 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 me, and I'm especially probably overthinking things like right track, wrong track, because I've I've always found the situation on right track, wrong track to be a little bit more mysterious then maybe it seems on the surface and what comes to mind is the young adult novel the mysterious benedict society which my my kids have read and in that story there's a you know a, a mysterious figure who is putting subliminal messages out there that there's something bad going on and it's called the emergency and everyone on the street is saying oh it's the emergency things are things are going off the rails and I've had a sense for the last few months that I'm not sure I buy why voter mood has been so sour. Because if you look at it, yes, inflation, we know, has a big psychological effect, but it's not the only economic thing going on. And as we talked about the last time we did this show, the economic news is actually very mixed. There's a new term for it, boomflation, which is... You know there's there's an awful lot of job creation people are feeling very bullish about their job prospects and so it's it's a much more nuanced story there and when it comes to COVID, i agree that it's that there is a new feeling that we are moving on but for vast swaths of the country and certainly for vast swaths of new hampshire for mu- for many people the pandemic was very much in the rear view mirror people weren't wearing masks they were seeing people, one another, you know, seeing people. So I, I'm not sure that there's been as much of a change as all that. And you could, you could view the Ukraine situation in the opposite direction, which is, Hey, there's a war and serious people are saying this could lead to world war three. So did you find as much mystery in these results as I did, or am I really just
1: overthinking it? Well, uh, definitely and and there's two points there. The first is is that even when you know you'll have low unemployment, things are generally very, very good in this country. There's no doubt about it. There's a, always this pessimism amongst voters that this is terrible and 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 the economy is bad and and this and that. And the truth is is that that's really you know, if you compare our economy to other economies around the world, I mean we're in strong position yet, 68% believe that we're on the wrong track. And what could that really mean? The second point is, is that remember, that doesn't mean that if the election for president, for example, were held today, that the Republican candidate would get 68% and Joe Biden would get the rest. And I'll tell you why. So amongst Democrats, 34% believe that the country is on the wrong track. Now, where am I going with this? So if you're a, a very liberal person, You may say, I believe that the country is on the wrong track and it might be something, a liberal issue that's bothering you. We're not, you know, doing more money for social services. We're not working on climate change, issues like that. But in the end, that same voter is going to come back for the Democratic candidate that that'll be on the ballot. So although they say the country's on the wrong track, it doesn't mean that they're not going to support the Democratic candidate.
0: That's, that's a great explanation. I mean, it does. I'll just say one other thing on this topic in that in your poll, you see the result of a lightning voter mood in President Biden's approval rating, which is up just a little bit over your last poll. So in relative terms, doing a little bit better. But it's interesting that the view, voter views of the economy are completely unchanged. So if the explanation here were as simple as it's inflation and COVID, well, people clearly think that the economy, I mean, their views on the economy aren't changing. And yet, as you said a moment ago, for whatever reason, moods are better and you see it reflected in the numbers for President Biden. You also see it reflected in the numbers for other elected officials in New Hampshire, what are you finding on that score?
1: So we're seeing that basically, you've got the four members of the delegation and they've all sort of increased slightly. So Biden went up, as you mentioned, but also Shaheen went up a few points, Hassan went up a few points, Pappas and Custer. But their, their numbers still are not great. Shaheen leads that Democratic pack with a 48% positive and a 47% negative, almost a split she is in positive territory within the margin of error. But you get down into, say, Custer. Now, she's in the second congressional district, which is a sort of a lean Democratic district. She's underwater with a 42% approval and 45 negative. So her numbers, just to point her out, her numbers and the overall delegation numbers are not good for Democrats. They remain that way. So I guess the summation of this is that here we are in March. Of an election year, we've seen a slight uptick in popularity, but it's by no means safe territory. And they're all in very dangerous waters. Now, the focus, of course, in New Hampshire is the US Senate race and Hassan's popularity favorability ratings are 46%, but her negatives are at 49. Mm. Usually going into a reelect If your numbers are not in a favorable plus 50 era, so 51, 52, you are considered sort of being in trouble. And so that is the number that I think a lot of people nationwide are looking at because we have a 50-50 U.S. Senate. And if Hassan were to win or to lose could affect the overall outcome nationally um, in the U.S. Senate and the balance of power.
0: I do want to circle back to that Senator Hassan number when we get to the head to head matchups, which you cover a little bit further in your poll, because obviously that's going to be one of the most closely watched Senate races in the country. But just to touch on the overall numbers for all of the delegations, so you're, you're referring there to the, the two U.S. Senators and the two House members. You and I are both. Retired, uh, maybe reformed operatives. We we used to work on Capitol Hill um, and have worked in campaigns, and so we come out of a profession that that sort of firmly believes that what you do in those positions matters, that you can affect how voters see you. Do you see any evidence in this kind of rising tide lifting all boats? environment that we're in in our poll right now. Do you see any evidence that any of these elected officials are rowing a little bit ahead of the tide or are perhaps taking on a little bit more water and not rising with the tide as much as anyone else?
1: Yes. So we have always found that there is a difference between Hassan's positive numbers and Shaheen's positive numbers. Shaheen always has a higher positive rating. And interestingly, they both come from generally the same backgrounds. They're both governors of New Hampshire, well-known in New Hampshire. When they vote in the U.S. Senate, generally they vote the same. So why is it that Shaheen seems to always have, you know, anywhere between a two and six point lead over Hassan as far as her favorability? There's something there. So she is doing something or her, for some reason, her likability is higher because of her actions or her uh, where she's going, who she's meeting, etc. Well, it's inter- well, I
0: was going to say that I, I mean, to me, the the likeliest theory is it's sort of the uh, the the Eddie Murphy movie, The Distinguished Gentleman, where he runs for office because the guy who who died in office had the exact same name he did, and that guy's campaign slogan was the name you know. So it's like, oh, great. I'll just run for office with my name and it's the name you know. It feels like the only difference, I mean, look, they're very different people. They're, But the, the, from voters' perspective, the major difference between Senator Shaheen and Senator Hassan is Senator Shaheen has been around as a factor in their lives for almost 30 years now. It feels like maybe she's just the name they know.
1: Well, or it could be their their. Individual personalities as they reflect on voters. So, mm. when he, they're two different politicians, as you mentioned, Shaheen gets up. She has sort of a different way of speaking than Hassan. Uh, her overall message is different, different sort of constituent services. So, that could be factors. I'm just speculating and it's conjecture. So, um, but on this same thread, You know, you have, so New Hampshire's two congressional districts. Pappas is the first congressional district. He, that district is more Republican. So there are more registered Republicans than there would be in the second CD. So it should be that Pappas's numbers are not as good as Custer's. However, what we see is 43% positive, 42 negative. So, Pappas actually is in positive territory, slight within the margin of error, but still in po- positive territory. And if you were to just take the generic numbers of registered Republicans and Democrats, he shouldn't be. So what's it? What's going on there? He's a longtime Manchester, um, uh, well-known family in Manchester. They own the largest, most popular restaurant in the state of New Hampshire. Um it's the place everybody hangs out, including Adam Sandler. <laughs> you know? uh, they make movies about this, the back uh, puritan back room where the restaurant that he owns. Uh, he's of Greek origin in a community that has a lot of Greek people, and he's very well known. So he's he's sort of defying logic at this point. And I think that when you're a House member, you're always and we you and I both know this very well. You're always trying to sort of separate the boss and sort of separate he's doing I know all this junk is going on in Washington that you don't like or internationally or with the president but our congressman is doing you know helping people in the district this is how so that you try to separate yourself from all that's going on because you can get wrapped up in these national waves and national feelings and national tides as you and I both know again and uh, you've got to sort of separate yourself. And so I think to some degree, Pappas seems to be able to be doing that.
0: Well, it, I mean, chalk one up then for, it's not all just, even in this hyper-polarized environment that we're living through now, it's not all just the generic letter behind your name. It's it, There There are things that you can be in your biography and do as part of your team that actually matter and affect your results. You know we're coming up for a, a break on WKXL. But what I want to do is I want to I pose a question for, for you to ponder and maybe for our listeners to ponder while we're off the air. Of course, for our podcast listeners, they're going to get the answer immediately because that break is just going to go away. Um, here's the question. You find in your poll, and I'm going to quote you here, that neither President Biden nor Vice President Kamala Harris are guaranteed majority support from voters who identify as Democrats in the 2024 New Hampshire primary. 49% would likely support Biden. Remember, this is among Democrats, while 30% would support a new candidate. If Biden declined to stand for re-election, 42% would likely support Harris, while 36% would support a new candidate. Now, to me, that result was interesting. We've talked before about the fact that there's sometimes a little lost in translation in survey research. Researchers take Great pains like you to word questions in ways that voters will connect to and to use words that they themselves would use. But still, you can have a little bit of a game of telephone where pollsters are asking one thing and voters are maybe saying something else. So I wondered what you took away from the results to this question. It could be literally, hey, we are in the mood for someone else. It could be, you know, We all came together in 2020 to defeat the great Satan, Donald Trump, but we never really got over the fact that we had other preferred candidates or they could be expressing dissatisfaction, maybe with the track that the country is on.
1: Well, I had to move my uh, microphone here because the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room right now in politics nationally, and the thing people are really talking about, but they won't talk publicly about it is whether or not Joe Biden's actually gonna run for re-election, And it's no secret, it's a published fact, what his age is. Um, we've seen sort of for our own eyes, some of the communication problems he's had connecting with voters. He ran during a pandemic where you could run on Zoom and not go out across the country and meet people. So it was a less vig- vigorous campaign. In New Hampshire, he finished fifth and he did so because he did not campaign in the normal way. He did not meet the voters. They had staged events and only a few of them. This is not, I'm not being critical. He won the presidency. I'm just stating what the facts are. And so the big question here is, will Democrats support him in a presidential primary? These are Democrats. Remember, independents can vote too in in a New Hampshire presidential primary. So 49% picked Biden. That's, that's half. Half the Democrats, this is your candidate two years into the presidency, and only half of the Democrats want this guy to be their pick. That is not good for Joe Biden. And even worse, that if for some reason he says, well, you know, it's catching up with me. I'm going to uh, take a step back here. The heir apparent, obviously, is the vice president, and she's only at 42%. That is, again, not good. And then I think there are several factors at play here. Some of the issues that she was assigned by the White House, which are basically albatross you know, type things in there, and, and there, there were issues that were unsolvable, essentially. You're never going to cut a ribbon on solving the border crisis down on the southern border. And so I think she's been dealt a raw hand and it's showing up in the voting. So what does this mean? it's not unprecedented that a candidate is challenged by somebody in their own party. Pat Buchanan did it to George W. Bush or George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, Jimmy Carter was challenged by Ted Kennedy. So you'd have to have someone of that stature. And it could be that if if the Democrats take a drubbing in the midterm elections, that all of a sudden you start to find people saying, okay, I'm going to consider running here. And we haven't seen it in New Hampshire right now. There's nobody sort of, you know, there's a couple of, you know, cabinet secretaries that have come into the state to cut a ribbon. And Amy Klobuchar came in under the guise of helping the Democrats for a fundraiser. But we really haven't seen that. But if you all of a sudden had a major Democrat start coming into New Hampshire, uh, this would, attract immediate attention. And these poll numbers would reflect that they might have an opportunity. Well, I think that's
0: really the most important point, which is that whatever may be going on under the surface, the result is the result. And as Jack Kemp famously said, weakness is provocative. (laughs) And so your results in New Hampshire might suggest to frisky Democrats out there, hey, you know, I could get some traction in New Hampshire. There could be a primary here. And you know, doing well in New Hampshire is not a bad place to start if you're looking to mount a challenge for the presidency. All right, let's 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 look at another result here from your poll. I want to talk about the generic ballot. This is something we've talked about before. This is where pollsters like you ask, hey, not, not naming names here, just in general, do you prefer the Republican or do you prefer the Democrat? I wanted to ask, Well, first of all, tell me what you found, and and then I want to ask you a follow up about it. What what did you find on the generic ballot?
1: We found that forty six percent of respondents preferred the Republican to forty two that preferred the Democrats. So that's a four point spread. Again, not huge Um, outside, but it it is outside the two point eight percent of the margin of error. But in January, that number was six points. So. If there is a softening, it's definitely to the advantage of the Democrats. But overall, uh, the environment is still toxic for Democrats. So it's getting better, but you're not out of the woods yet. And that generic ballot is very, very important. When So there, there's all this money in Washington, D.C., that they're looking around in different congressional seats and saying, where are we going to target uh Our money, where is it going to have a good use? And in what seats can we win? And so they go into New Hampshire, which is more of a more of a purple state, two Democratic US House members, and they say, you know, if we put this money here, will it make a difference? And they look very closely at this generic ballot number. It's very important.
0: So what I just heard there was kind of a, you know, to Republican ears, good news, bad news to Democrats' ears. Eh, good news, bad news, right? It's it's tilting Republicans way, but it's heading in Democrats' direction based compared to your last poll. But on the other hand, just to just to scramble everyone's brains a little bit further, in twelve of the last thirteen elections, when you look at polling averages across the country, the generic ballot question has consistently underestimated Republican support. Twelve out of the last thirteen elections, and so. This is a problem that pollsters really haven't been able to get their their hands around. I know you guys behind the scenes do a lot of things to try to overcome that issue. But when you look at a number like this and you kind of maybe kind of quietly evaluate it in the, in the contours of your own brain, do you, do you think that that's a possibility here that your poll is underestimating... Republican support at baseline?
1: Well, um, well, it's hard to determine because the number is the number, right? So the, the question here is whether or not there are other factors out there that, that are either concealing or uh, not revealing as much Republican support. Um, and one of those factors is just, you know, are Democrats on one side going to be demoralized? You know, you're in power, Things are not necessarily going well, you know, the 68% wrong track. So is the energy and the momentum on the Republican side? And that could definitely be a factor. I mean, if you, if you think your, your team's going to win the game, you're more likely to go to the game on Saturday night. So, um, that happens in politics where there's a, a malaise or a, uh, an energy besides one party or the other. And that can be a factor here as well. But do I think, you know, I think the number is the number. I think, um, I think, although we're talking about a four point spread, I think it's still very significant. So for the very first time
0: uh, in the, in this series of polls in this cycle, which is appropriate because of where we are as we approach the election in November, you've included a question that relates to the primary for the U.S. Senate seat. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit in general about how polling for a primary is different than polling for a general election. So, for example, here, you're just focused at this stage on name identification, name ID. How many people know, have heard of the various candidates Why is it that you're focused just on, have you heard of this person at this stage of the game?
1: Well, because we're at a point right now where they're raising money, not necessarily running advertising. So a lot of people haven't heard of these people. But when we get into primary races, the main problem is, is that who is going to go out and vote? And we don't know. So usually in a primary, people who are very hardened or people who are very motivated in either a conservative or a liberal viewpoint will turn out in those elections. So, uh, but again, we don't know where those voters are and who they are. So that's one of the main reasons why we sort of say, who who are they? Are you favorable or unfavorable if you know who they are? Um, in this U.S. Senate race, you know, it's still developing during the time period when we were in the field. Uh, polling, uh, a, another candidate has emerged uh, that is going to File in the June filing period. So the 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 die has not been cast on this election. We don't know that who these candidates really are yet, and they haven't really they haven't put out really much media. They're going meeting activists, going to sort of Republican events, and going to uh, uh, you know fundraisers and raising money. So that's the kind of big test period we're in right now. Um, And Hassan beats every single one of them in a head-to-head, which is interesting because her favorables, again, we can go back, are underwater. She's at 46% approval, but she still beats these potential opponents. That's actually
0: what I wanted to ask you about. So it is interesting, first of all, that it sounds like at this stage of the game, from a pollster's perspective, you're really just evaluating kind of the starting line for these various candidates. In a primary, how do they come into this? How well known are they to voters? Are are any of them starting a little bit ahead of the game or a little bit behind the game in terms of having to introduce themselves? But then you do go on to find, as you test these this series of hypothetical matchups, that Senator Hassan is ahead. I think her her smallest margin by which she's ahead against all the ones you tested was about five points, which is well. I wanted to, that's that's what I wanted to put to you. Is this a good news or a bad news finding for her? Because I could read it either way.
1: I I read it either way way as well. Obviously, if she were underwater to somebody who no one knows, you'd say, this is not good. (laughs) Yeah, danger Will Robinson, right? Uh, Right, exactly. We also tested some other issues that I think might bode well, either good or bad for her. So Uh, Whether or not you support Brown-Jackson for the Supreme Court, 53% support, 36% opposed. She's supporting Brown-Jackson. So, um, you know, that is on the plus side for her as far as uh, the viewpoint of people here in New Hampshire. But do you prefer that Biden has a check on his power? 53% say yes. So obviously Hassan is not a check on her fellow Democrats, President power. So that's a, a, a strike against her. And then the big one, I think this is the big thing that surprised me the most out of this poll was we tested whether or not we should restart the Keystone pipeline in this, you know, the atmosphere of politics with high gas prices, the president blames Putin and big oil. Um, and the, the uh, Hassan does the same However, a lot of republicans have been saying the day that he killed the Keystone pipeline was the day gas prices started to go up and gas prices are of course tied to the futures it's a future issue. So if 50 if as far as restarting the Keystone pipeline 59% of New Hampshire voters want to restart the Keystone pipeline. That I think could be an issue that really gets to the heart of the US Senate race, because um, that is sort of a thing where Biden has sort of disregarded that and is not backing up about it. And I think if voters know about this issue and they're focused in on it, as this number would seem to suggest, um, that is trouble for the Democrats.
0: I'm so glad you went there because that number also is what stood out to me most from your poll. And I want to unpack it a little bit further, so right, so as you say fifty nine percent support restarting construction of the Keystone pipeline, and you guys, as you frequently do, you worded the question very intelligently in your poll you you alluded in the question wording to would you favor this even if and you you name the consequence, I can't remember exactly how you put it, but you know even if it would um you know, increase our dependence long-term or extend our dependence, I think is the way you put it, on, on oil. And so I wonder if this is the kind of result. It's interesting to me that it, that you think it's very significant. I am used to kind of taking your guidance on things like this because to me, it feels like the kind of result that the media often misinterprets or advocates get a hold of and they sort of use intentionally to misinterpret. Not the pollster's fault. You've worded the question very appropriately and it's very straightforward. But what advocates or the media tend to do with a result like this is to say, see, right? You know, I I told you that this is this is what's on voters' mind. But sometimes you see a pattern in polling. So for example, 2 years ago during the Democrats' Presidential primary nomination process. It was very common for progressives to cite a whole bunch of polls that showed support for the Green New Deal, 80%, Medicare for all, 70%, including, by the way, 52% of Republicans, free college for all, 60%. But then you saw moderate Democrats, we said, hold on, hold on, wait a second, wait a second. Did you notice that support for Medicare for all drops to 48%? If you just tell voters that, you know, that's the same thing as single payer. Did you do that? And then support for Medicare for all drops to 34%. If you just inform voters, you know, it might raise taxes. And it's the same pattern with Green New Deal, same pattern with all this stuff. So I'm going to turn my long rant here back into a question to you. To you, this result, 59% support for restarting construction of the Keystone XL pipeline seems significant. But I wonder if it's also the kind of thing where could a result like this, if it's brushed by a little bit of a feather of context, could it wobble? How, how robust a finding is this? Is this simply voters reacting to the fact that, hey, high gas prices are awful, we hate them, and we hear something that seems to offer a solution? Yes, I'm in favor of that. Let's do that, even if, you know, there's a problem that it creates way off in the future.
1: Well, I guess the question is, is do voters really dig deep and and, and go below those brushstrokes to determine whether or not an issue is, is significant or not? And I would say that, you know, particularly in an election year where 30-second advertising pays off, um, you know, this is probably as deep as it's going to get. The question, I think overall, I I just push back a little bit that we have high inflation and the president's response at the podium is, oh, this is because of supply chain, not because we spent six trillion dollars. And I think, do voters believe that or do they say he's not really being honest with us about it? So when the president says it's big oil, they haven't you know, done this, they're reaping profits, or it's uh, Putin that's the result of gas prices. I think most voters are probably like, well, gas prices started to rise when you became president, and they understood that. So there's kind of a thing where you try to say, are are Democrats going to be successful blaming high gas prices on Putin and big oil? Or are voters going to have a different alternative and say, Keystone Pipeline, more U.S. energy, is that the alternative? Because if you can't sell what you're selling, big oil and Putin is to blame, that's trouble again for Democrats. So um, this result I thought was interesting because it's whether it's fair or unfair, voters seem to know about the Keystone Pipeline and it's on their minds. And 59% is a significant number in this overall poll. Well, I take your overall point, which is, the number is the number.
0: The result is the result. And what you're finding essentially is there's no good way out. And we could we could talk for a long time. In a matter of fact, we have, and we're going to continue to for a few more minutes. Like we could talk for a long time about the reality underlying what what's going on with inflation. It doesn't matter. You're right. Ultimately, this is the hand that this administration and that both parties have been dealt but i do think that that it's it's relevant and maybe this is a little bit of a see your pushback and and raise a further pushback i mean it is the same pattern presidency after presidency right you know you and i lived through the period of high gas prices in 2006 when you know this and then in 2008 when it was afflicting then president george w bush and ultimately I, i think what you're saying is correct voters blame the president they're not necessarily going any further than that. They're, they're just saying, hey, look, you're in charge. We don't really care. We don't want to hear the reasons. We're going to blame you. And so presidents tend to do what, what they do. They, they say, well, it could be a whole bunch of things. Look over there. Look over there. But ultimately, there's not going to be a lot of squirming out of this one.
1: Well, and I think, you know, when you use the word big oil, you know, is it, it's so elementary to blame, you know, the big monster up there, you know, the big corporate bad people, you know, I, it's sort of reminds me of the television ads that say, we need to get dark money out of politics. And then the end of the ad says paid for by dark money. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know it, it's kind of like dark money, big oil, you know, the big bad things. I, I, I think that this is interesting because if voters, can point back to that Keystone Pipeline decision and say, we should reverse it. That again is a situation where, and that the, the administration shows sort of climate change and clean energy decision at that time over um, cheaper gas prices. And are voters rejecting that?
0: I guess I'm, I'm buying one of your points more than the other. I'm buying the idea that this is a very, I'm not denigrating voter discernment here in any way. I'm just saying that, that voters kind of process this in a, in a very straightforward way, which is you're the president, here's the problem, fix it. And on a question like Keystone, it's presented to them as, hey, more oil would mean lower prices. That's good, I'm in favor of that. I don't know that they go to the level of saying, I'm not buying your explanation. I just, I just think it's much more visceral than that. But let, let me just let me just see if I can sneak in one more question because we've got, we've got about two minutes left to go here. You also find as as you probe into voter priorities that what voters are saying is at the top of their list, tends to lean toward. Republican issues. So you find reducing the deficit is the top priority, 28% of voters, followed by cutting taxes, 25%. Then you get climate change. Then you get increased social spending below that. I'm wondering, what's the chicken and what's the egg here? Are people giving policy priorities and saying, since these are our priorities, we are going to tend to vote for the party and the candidates from the party that favors those kinds of priorities? Or is it really the other way around? Or is it really that what you're measuring is Republicans are more jazzed up to respond to polls, are are feeling more motivated about their issues right now, and they're reflecting that. They're, they're basically saying, we're feeling more Republican right now, so we're reflecting back to you the kinds of priorities that sit with the republican party
1: i don't think they identify necessarily with the republican party I, I i mean obviously reducing spending cutting taxes is a more conservative set of issues but i don't think voters when they're responding are like well i'm a republican so they're therefore this is what i care about i think individual voters say this is what i'm concerned about because they're seeing it on a day-to-day basis with the amount of spending and the president pushing for more spending and this is a, a this is pushing back against that. When you broke down some numbers, I actually think 22% are believe that climate change is the top issue. I thought that that was interesting as well. And I'll tell you why. You know, here we are at a war with, you know, going on with Russia, there's high gas prices, the the Keystone pipeline issue we just mentioned, all these other things. And still 22% believe that climate change is the number one issue. I, I'm kind of astonished by that. You know, we, we, we've gone through a month where every day in the New York Times, there's a word about Putin may nu- use nuclear weapons. You know, so it doesn't seem that that is as, you know, climate change seems to be sort of a secondary issue to some of these nuclear decisions and all kinds of other things. And yet, I think 22% is significant. It's the third highest in our poll.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That is surprisingly sticky. Neil Levesque, St. Anselm College, Institute of Politics. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.